Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everyone. It's my honor to plug and play for our senior pastor, Bob Fuller, this morning, who is spending the weekend with his daddy, Bobby, in South Carolina. I heard word from Bob uh, this morning on my way to church. It's been a great weekend. Um, You know his dad is in hospice care. So time means not only everything, it's, it's also love. And they enjoyed their uh, time together yesterday, especially watching UT win their game, and then watch Alabama win their game. So it was a great day for Bob and his daddy, and he's going to be back in the office this, uh, tomorrow morning, uh, bright and early. So with that said, let us pray. Grant us, O Lord, a clear vision of your truth, a firm faith in your power, an earnest desire to live for you, a confident assurance of your love. In Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. Darkness. It's getting a little darker every day. Did you notice? I notice it each year when we turn the corner on September Nights come earlier. The fact is that ever since the June equinox, the days really have been getting shorter, and the sun a little bit less frequent, and the nights longer and longer, and the temperatures, well, you need a sweater to go outside. Uh, It's a little cooler. Our primitive ancestors were always restless around this time of the year, for they would notice the sun going farther and farther away, and they'd ask themselves, would it be gone for good? Will the warmth we depend on, the light we need for life itself, be gone forever? And then, of course, to the most observant eye that scans and scours the skies comes the realization that around December the 21st, it seems as if the sun pauses. The word actually means solstice. The sun interrupts its journey, a winter solstice, and one wonders what in the world is going to happen next. Well, Advent is a kind of dark solstice time in the cycle of the Christian year. As we've been uh, hearing and singing throughout our worship service, Advent does mean coming. And as we wait for the coming of King Jesus, the light of the world, we sense the growing darkness, perhaps in a way similar to primitive peoples huddled fearfully around fires during long, dark, cold December nights. We wait in December darkness for the glimpse of the light of King Jesus. In this light, or should I say, in this darkness, let us hear our scripture focus this morning. We have two passages this morning, both very short. I invite you to follow me uh, with the Bible in the pew or your own Bible or in the bulletin. It's there in the bulletin. I'm going to read from my Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with the 12th verse. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, But my steadfast love will not depart from him, 
as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. And then uh, the second scripture reading is from the Gospel according to Luke. I have a bookmark here with the name Harvey on it. I think I borrowed this from the robe room, so I need to put it back, Harvey. Um, Luke chapter 1, ver, uh, beginning with the 30th verse, Luke writes, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There seems to be little need to explain Isaiah's 3,000-year-old metaphor of darkness, for it's still very relevant to us in our day and time, for we have a good idea that we too are a people who walk in darkness. If darkness is meant to suggest a world where people cannot see very well, either themselves or each other, or where they're heading or where they're standing, then it is dark. Darkness is what our newspapers are all about. If we are people who pray, darkness is apt to be what we do a lot of our praying about. If we are people who don't pray, darkness is probably what has absolutely stopped our praying. We live in dark times. Problems are on everyone's doorsteps and in everyone's homes. So what do we do about them? Maybe a little funny story might lighten us up a bit and illustrate the problems we face. I have this story kept in my illustration file. Read, read it again. It was about what happened in Darlington, Maryland, many, many years ago. Edith, a mother of eight, was coming home from a neighbor's house one Saturday afternoon Themes, things seemed to be eerily quiet as Edith walked across her front yard. Curious, she silently peered through the screen door and saw five of her youngest children huddled together, concentrating on something. As she crept closer to them, trying to discover the center of attention, she could not believe her eyes. Smack dab in the middle of the circle were five baby Skunks. Edith screamed at the top of her voice, Quick, children, run! So each kid grabbed a skunk and ran. <laughs> you know something? Some dark days are like this. We think we have a lot of problems, and then we try to do something about them, then guess what? They multiply. Sometimes the solutions we attempt in the darkness of our lives don't help, but actually make things worse. So we sit back in the darkness, and we wait, and we wish, and we hope, and maybe if we have enough faith left in us, we pray. In the darkness of the night, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? 
And our first scripture passage from 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 17, God promises, makes a covenant with David that first Solomon, who is David's son, will reign as king in David's place and build that house for God. Let's pause for a minute and let me ask you a question. What is a covenant? A covenant is a promise that God lays out to God's covenant partner what he will do with all his heart and soul and strength. If you love God as he is, connect with him and trust him to keep his promises. When God makes a covenant, his promise is to work for the absolute good of his covenant partner. When God makes a covenant, his promise is for his people to find hope, security, trust, healing, peace, joy, and love. But in verse 14 in our passage, Solomon, David's son, is depicted as a sinner. When he he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. God's covenant, God's promise sees way beyond Solomon and his sins. And so in verse 13, the Lord says, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish his throne forever and ever. Then in verse 16, the Lord says, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure before me. Forever before me, your throne shall be established forever. Did you notice in those two verses, this is the second point, the word forever occurs three times. God's covenant to David was the key to the hope of Israel. Why? Because when God promises to do something forever, the present and the past and the future are going to change. In verse 12, we learn from God's word that David will die. Yet in verse 16, God reminds us, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. What this means is that God intends for David's kingdom to be established and secured by his descendant. But it's not Solomon. This is the condition of God's covenant with David. David's kingdom cannot be established through a disobedient king. We find a connection to this condition and the covenant repeated again in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4. David instructs Solomon that God said these words, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness, with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. What God means is that as long as David's sons are disobedient, David's kingdom cannot be established and secure. Over time, centuries, Israel learned the hard way following David and Solomon that dark, disobedient, rebellious kings always leads Israel to what? Destruction and ruin. But there was a faithful remnant present and believe, who believe that God will keep his promise, keep his covenant with Israel and his promise that the throne of David will be established forever, that is, a son of David will be coming who will fulfill the conditions of the covenant, sit on the throne, and rule forever. 
So if God is going to keep his covenant with David, God will have to get involved in this. God, God will have to intervene and raise up a righteous, obedient son of David to reign forever on that throne. More connections. The prophets Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and especially Isaiah told the people, this is what God promised to do about bringing up that, that son who will be obedient and righteous. Listen to these words from Ezekiel, who wrote about the future salvation of God's people. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And then the prophet Jeremiah preached that the coming king will fulfill another condition of the covenant and that is righteousness. Behold, he said, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And then along comes the prophet Isaiah, who saw the coming light and glory of the son of David the most clearly in his vision. And when you read the book of Isaiah, you will see this, hear these words, and identify that identify him as God. You know these words. They come from Isaiah chapter 9. First verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. And then verse 6 and 7 in, in uh, chapter 9, for to us a child is born. To us the Son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of the peace there shall be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it from this time forth and forevermore. When God makes a covenant, his promise is that he will get involved. He will intervene and fulfill all the conditions of the covenant. God himself will come as king and sit on the throne of David. Another connection in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. In that passage we read from verse 30 and 33, chapter 1, verse 30 to 33, God fulfilled his promise to David that his descendant would rule forever in Jesus Christ. Jesus now reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords over heaven and earth forever and ever. So this is the point in the sermon when I'm, I'm supposed to ask you this question. So what does this mean to us? That Jesus is a king who lives forever. So what? What does that mean? Well, maybe we can answer that question with another question. What kind of darkness do you sit in? Where are you hurting? I know you're hurting. Everyone hurts with something. That's including me. High on the list of people in darkness are those people who live in chronic pain. No one knows the full number. Some are in hospitals or special clinics, rehab hospitals, searching for some kind of effective treatment or relief. 
Others are home, told there's nothing more they can do. Just go home and live with it. Some of you may be hearing these words now and your pain hurts. Pain seems to make time stand absolutely still. Yes, physical pain is one symbol of the mess, the darkness. What kind of darkness do you sit in? Where are you hurting? Perhaps it's the darkness of loneliness. Is loneliness the dark problem of our culture? Maybe it it always has been. I love one of our contemporary writers, Judith Viorst. In her book, If I Were in Charge of the World, in other worries, she talks about a little girl whose best friend moved away. Listen to this very short poem. It speaks to the darkness of loneliness and loss. The tires on my back bike are flat. The sky is grouchy gray. At least it sure feels like that since Hannah moved away. Chocolate ice cream tastes like prunes. December's come to stay. They've taken back the Mays and the June since Hannah moved away. Flowers smell like halibut. Velvet feels like hay. Every handsome dog's a mutt since Hannah moved away. Nothing's fun to laugh about. Nothing's fun to play. They call me, but I won't come out since Hannah moved away. What kind of darkness do you sit in? Where are you hurting? Maybe you're living in the pain of mistakes. Take the fellow I talked to just this week who cashed in his retirement CDs and not too long after that invested all his retirement savings back in the stock market. He tells me now that he's sleeping like a baby, but every three hours he wakes and he cries. The good news proclaims that to the people who walk in darkness, they have seen a great light, but moreover, and this is the new observation For me, as I studied this passage in Isaiah, in addition to our other two passages, for Isaiah speaks of people who walk in darkness, who have seen a great light, but then it goes on and says, to the people in deep darkness, on them the light shines, because God has kept his promise to King David. I wish we had more time to properly cite the historical references in verse 1. Isaiah speaks of the anguish of the land of Israel. The reference is to the terrible and constant persecution, incessant war, deportation. Certainly the inhabitants of the land knew individually and collectively what it means to live in deep darkness. I've been told that it is wise before one begins to write a sermon to try to capsulize the message in a single paragraph. Well, here it is. Wrote this before I wrote one word. If you take anything with you, this is what I want you to remember this morning. In dark days, we should remember that every major portion of the Bible was written by a person having a dark time to people having hard times or about a human being having a hard time, that most of the Bible was written in hard times for dark moods. It's constant declaration of the fulfillment of God's covenant to David is that Christ the Son of God, the King who reigns over heaven and earth, the King who lives forever, can and is a certain light to all darkness, whatever its nature or cause. But hear this. The good news does not 
proclaim the absence of darkness. Jesus never promised that, but the presence of light. Will the darkness you know today somehow miraculously shatter like glass? Will the glory of a thousand suns break through you today? We hear these words of Jesus Christ who says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the, th- on the Son of Man. But will it be today, O Lord? Someone once said, open up your eyes, but do it slowly. You may stumble in the sun outside your door. In a way so that we don't stumble, God begins to shine his light on us slowly. The light begins to shine in the darkness of a Judean night. In the midst of nowhere, two parents who were nobody. In that darkness, the child was born, and whoever it was that delivered him slapped his bare backside to start his breath going. And he cried out, as each one of us cried out, at the shock and the strangeness of being born into the darkness of the world. The beginning light was the light of a candle. The light shined in the darkness was that of a starlight, and it begins so slowly. A single flame at first, but it is a light that the darkness of an entire hemisphere of darkness cannot extinguish. It is a light that says that the darkness is not the last word. For in the midst of the deepest darkness is the light of a tiny baby born in a dark manger. So what kind of darkness do you sit in? Where are you hurting? In the midst of this darkness is the light. I'll close with this story. The nurse on TV, bitter, tired, resentful. Her husband had left her with three mouths to feed, three mouths beside her own. Twin girls about 12 and a bright, aggressive boy, 16, going on 30. It was almost Christmas, and she was working a lot of overtime, partly because she was needed and partly because she wanted to save the money to buy extra presents. She had the flu at Thanksgiving, but not, had not taken time to go to bed, so now she was really tired and more run down than usual. Everything seemed to be going wrong. Life was coming apart at the seams. Her father, who lived in a rest home, fell and broke his hip, and he was writing to her to come, please come to see me. She wanted to go but did not have the time or the money to make the trip. Her girls wanted Cabbage Patch dolls for Christmas. She had saved up and bought them but was worried now because she didn't have much time left to buy a nice gift for her son. Then one evening, evening, she discovered some drugs in her son's school book and had a great argument with him about that. She was awake most of the night, crying, angry, and very unhappy. The next day was one of those impossible days at work you absolutely want to forget. Blow-ups with a couple of irritable patients, a run-in with a floor nurse, a charming old lady dying in an operation, a collision with an orderly that sent a meal tray crashing to the floor. Nothing went right. Life, she said to herself, was absolute hell. On her way home, wondering how she would manage with her son, she heard the sound of carols coming from an old brownstone church. She almost passed the church, then stopped, turned around, and went in as if some power beyond herself was drawing her. She sat on the back row. 
Some children in bathrobes were staging the nativity scene in the chancel. The baby in, mother, in Mary's arms was not a doll. It was an absolute real baby. She saw the baby raise its hand, try to grab the, the girl's nose. After another reading and another hymn, it became restless and began to cry. The girl cradled it, tried to soothe it, but it wailed, absolutely wailed. The little boy standing at the lectern could not be heard reading his part. Finally, a woman came uh, into the chancel and took the baby from the girl and tried to soothe it. The nurse assumed it was the baby's mother. The baby still wouldn't be consoled, and the woman carried it out of the chancel through a door on the side. The little congregation was singing Silent Night, anything but. Yet in the reality of all this, the manger, the live baby, the real cry, something lit up in this nurse's eyes, and she smiled. The light was shining in the darkness. At first, it was only a little light, then a great light that shined on her. Her face became suddenly youthful and animated all over again. It was a real baby, she thought, a real baby. Jesus was a real baby, and he is a king now who lives forever. This wasn't just a story. He was real. He cried. He wet. He messed. He caused his mother much anguish. God really cares about real life. As she slipped out of the church into the night air, buttoning her coat, there was a radiance about her face. She smiled at people in the street, stopped for groceries, and bought some peppermint ice cream for dessert. When she entered the apartment, she transformed it. It was as if the whole place became suddenly brighter and happier. The world was a different place because she had seen the light shining in the darkness. The baby in the manger, the king who lives forever. The, ba- the baby who makes everything different, even life itself and history itself. At that night, she was like a child again, bringing laughter and joy into the home. She had seen the light in the darkness, the real, live, vulnerable, yet eternal child in the manger who changed her life. What darkness are you setting in? Where are you hurting? Look right there at the Lord's table. For King Jesus, who lives forever. For in deep darkness, King Jesus' light shines on us all brightly and gives us all hope. Let us pray. Dear God, in the darkness of the world's pain, the holy light begins to spark. In the darkness, we want to see that light too, O holy God. We want to look beyond the tinsel, the colored lights, the presence, and behold your glory. Shining in the darkness of a manger, transfiguring all ordinary life through King Jesus, who lives forever. O Lord, the gift of new life, new light, can be a gift truly only if we ourselves Open it and receive it. So this is our prayer, Lord, that you will open our eyes to see your coming again. In the light of each day, open our ears to hear the angels singing as they did when you were born in that dark stable. Open our hearts to the transforming power of your love as it comes to us through the love of Jesus, your son. Be born among us that we may ourselves be born. Be born within us 
We ask this in the child's name. Amen.